All right, and Shalom. I am back with Parsha Shlach. Um, this is the next segment uh, of that Get You Some. I uh, have received information that my previous recordings have been at a low volume. So I apologize. I will not be able to go back and re-edit those because I have no clue how to boost those. But I can make sure that I make good on that now by hopefully this recording being way much louder. So hopefully this is coming across loud and clear and Baruch Hashem. So I was in the middle of Mishle 3, 5 through 7 with some commentary from the Midrash and um, Rabbi Yonah is just kind of going to town on uh, the lessons that we can derive. So I'll just recap since uh, that'll just be the best thing to do. So he started off with saying there's four lessons you can derive from the teachings of in all your ways know Hashem and he will smooth your paths. The first one being in all of life's paths, place your trust in God. Number two, your goal should be to know, serve and honor him by doing everything for the sake of Hashemayim, which is Leshem Shemayim, Be'ivrit. Number three is never let the pursuit of a livelihood or any other worldly goal drown out the divine message. Well, there you go. Okay. Don't be like the rebellions in the wilderness, basically. Then it says, make sure that every pursuit accords with Hashem's wishes, which means that they line up with Torah, they line up with the festivals, they line up with, you know, kosher activities. So every pursuit that you have, make sure they line up with Hashem's wishes. Whatever you do, know Him and reckon with His values and priorities. His values and his priorities supersede yours. So no matter, no matter what you like to do, make sure Hashem's values and priorities are the foundation. Because Hashem loves us so much, and if we go outside of what he really desires for us, then that causes some issues. Okay, verse 7, final verse. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes, i.e., do not refuse to accept reprimand. Okay, if you get reprimanded for something and it's coming from a place of truth, accept it, okay? Like, we have to. Like, let's let our egos die. Let's let them get slaughtered like a lamb on the altar and let it ascend to Hashem and cause transformation and illumination for us. I mean, it's not easy, it's not hard, it's definitely not fun, but it's cool. It's good for us. All right? Ibn Ezra sees this phrase as a continuation of verse 6. How so? Thus, do not think that your own wisdom is enough to find the straight path. We're not smart enough to do this. That's what makes Lapid so wonderful, is that we are not smart enough to be bringing this down. We are simple people who trust in Hashem and follow the footsteps of Mashiach Yeshua. That's why we're called Torah observant in Yeshua because if we try to be Torah observant any other way that would be causing us to use our own wisdom and that would be like walking around in a very dark room without a lamp 
Now, Torah is a light, yes, but when you know who Messiah is, when you know what the source of that light is, and you say, yeah, forget the source, but I'll just walk around with the light, that's not smart, okay? Because now you really have no light. It could work for other people who don't know what the source of the light is because they don't know what the source of the light is. But when you know what the source of the light is and you say, yeah, 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 I'll just take the light, not the source, that's where the problem is, okay? Then it says, alternatively, do not attribute wealth and success to your own wisdom, as many people do. Who is this Rabbi Yona guy? Man, he's off the hook. Okay, so if you have wealth and success, it's not, it's not anything you did. You may have went to school for it, and you may have studied, you may have worked really, really hard. But if Hashem don't want you to be wealthy and successful, you will not be. So that means <clears throat> for those of us who are not wealthy and for those of us who don't feel successful and we're serving Hashem and we're not attributing anything to our own wisdom, it's okay. It doesn't mean that we failed. It doesn't mean that Hashem failed. I'm talking to myself hard on this right now because if I could just be honest, I'm making comparatively less of, than what I used to make. But if I take my own advice by talking about Philippians chapter 3 in context of Parsha Shalak, saying that the things that lie behind me, I forget about them, i.e. Mitzrayim, is no longer, I don't even know what that is. Like, if I take my own advice and make sure that what lies behind me no longer exists and no longer has any influence over me, I don't know anything different right now than where I am. So... What I am doing is seeking to press and grab a hold of Hashem. So if I'm not wealthy, if I'm not successful, that's not going to be a determining factor of me walking in the way, the truth, and the life. Because regardless of what happens, this is what I got to do. So there we go. Taking my own advice. So Hashem is not a failure. And whatever lied behind me, was not better than what Hashem has before me. And where I'm at now is uh, it's tough, it's challenging. But this truth, this life that I receive by walking in, in Mashiach, you know, I wouldn't trade this for the world. So, enough of that. Over here, we say, do not make judgments based merely on what you see. First impressions can be misleading. Analyze and consider. That's Rabbi Mendel of Kotsk. Now, I love that because I find my, here we go. Uh, the, the homeboy, homeboy I call G Shekel. His name is Gadai. And uh, I've actually gotten to talk to him uh, via instant message. So, uh, shouts out to him. I really appreciate what he's doing. Um, he has this guy named, um, well, I don't know. He's he's a guy named Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum. And uh, I was like, who is this guy? Because he always drops like some insane insights. So I went ahead and connected to the commentary for Rabbi Abraham Greenbaum. For Parsha Shalak and Shalak and Loaded is what I'm now going to call this. 
And this is what this crazy man, this crazy rabbi over here has done. Let me get to it. All right, Parsha Shalak. Sorry, I'm going to my notes here. I can do it. Okay. So, you know, in this week's Torah portion of Shalak, we get the Zitzit, right? The the thing we have to use our eyes to look at. And uh, I'm going to shout out Dr. Sakal because it's as if he's spying on me again, him and his portals, you know, I can always look in on people. But he was talking about, I'm just, I was making a joke, it's a reference to Dr. Strange. But anyway, uh, he basically sent me a text about Zizi, you know, and some insights on that this morning from Lakute Sikot, of course. And I'm like, seriously? Because the insight was going into how the mitzvah of Zizit is more about serving Hashem beyond all our, our uh, transcending our understanding. So when we look up on the fringes of our garment, you know, it's like, I don't know why I'm thinking fringe benefits, but the fringe benefits of Zidzid are that we're reminded that when we're serving Hashem, that we're not going to be able to completely grasp a hold of who he is, even though we grab a hold of the Zidzid. But truly, like it broke down this whole thing. This is the commentary. It breaks down like how you know, clothes are, uh, you know, I'm just going to read it. When am I just going to learn to just, just read your sources, man? <laughs> I just get so hyped up. Uh, I just don't read. Okay. Check this out. Unlike food that comes absorbed in our flesh and blood, the clothing we wear envelops us, but remains above and apart from our bodies. Clothing is therefore metaphoric of that which transcends understanding and cannot be absorbed in the human mind. Okay, this is also part of the reason why people look at us like crazy, like they don't know what to do. They like blue screen because they can't categorize us or put us in a box because it's just like, first of all, for especially for me, because I'm black and it's just like, how are you a black Jew and you're not Muslim and like you're Orthodox and like you're kosher and like I, and I i don't get this this is weird and you believe in yeshua uh-uh just how did you how were you raised oh baptist oh my gosh like how in the world there's just so many different trains and planes and automobiles that are just crashing right now just like wait i don't even know what's going on but anyway that is why back to the commentary that is why to fulfill the mitzvah of zitzit fringes must be strung from the garment for when Zizid extend from a garment, they symbolize that all 613 mitzvot stem from Hashem's will. Okay, so literally the, the garment is the will of Hashem and the Zizid extend from that garment are the mitzvot. Wow, okay, so... The garment is the mitzvot, but the zitzi that extend are the mitzvot. Because, you know, the will of Hashem is the Torah, which consists of mitzvot and halakha and all sorts of stuff like that. But the 613 mitzvot are literally an extension of Hashem's will. That's what the zitzi are. And it says that 
this will utterly transcends our human understanding likewise our commitment to their observance must transcend reason so there you go so when we look at our zitzit it's not that we're trying to remember the mitzvot so much as we're saying our commitment to their observance must transcend reason now i'm going to use uh rabbi greenbaum here to just blow it up in a green kind of way i guess all right so uh that is a very interesting thought about uh how to look at your zz but that's what that really boils down to when you put that together uh, from Lakute Sikot, which let me completely source that out. That is Lakute Sikot, volume two, page 324 and 325. So shouts out to Dr. Sikal for blowing it up. All right. So Rabbi Greenbaum with his little explosions here. So let me just kind of swerve us into this so this is his commentary on parsha shalak he starts off by saying the theme of purifying and refining our principal faculties because he brings down this whole thing about how uh well he's about to do it right now let me not get ahead of myself okay so it says that uh purifying and refining our faculties is introduced at the beginning of beha aloteca Right, you thinking Behaaloteca is talking about Aharon climbing a lat or stool and uh, or climbing some steps to kindle a menorah. What does that have to do with purifying and refining your faculties? I'm glad you asked. Here it is, as discussed in our commentary, the seven lamps of the menorah allude to the seven lamps of our head. We have two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, and a mouth. The highest of all are the eyes and the visual image of the menorah with which Beha Aloteca begins, according to the vision that Hashem showed Moshe, as the verse is quoted, initiates a series of Torah portions of which all prominently feature the faculty of vision. Where is the vision in this week's Torah portion, right? Well, didn't they go into the promised land for like 40 days and like look around and spy it out? That's not the people's job. That's the job of the ark. The ark goes ahead and spies and finds the place for people to rest. And so we took it upon ourselves to be like, Hashem, you said that you're going to give us this promised land, which is great and all, but we just want to go look. We just want to go see what it's going to be like. You know, this is the... So this is kind of like when you have uh, dinner cooking in the oven that you don't know what it is and like you want to go in there and peek and like instead of just opening the oven being like hmm, food cooking in there you take the food out and you open it up and you start like digging around through the food and you don't even give it a chance to cook and then you risk whoever the cooker is coming and beating you over the head with kitchen utensils that's literally what happened in this week's store portion Hashem was like you know what you don't trust me you think that there's giants in the land and they're going to get you and you don't think that I can deliver them into your hands because I don't know. I did the 10 plagues on Egypt and took you out of Egypt and crossed the Yom Suf. like the the uh, Amalekites came after you and like attacked you. But, you know, I can't I can't defend my people. 
that's that's how you feel okay we're fine we, you'll just be stuck out here then and everybody's like no we're gonna take the land we're gonna do it and they go back up and try to take the land and the clouds the ark moshe everybody stayed in camp and these people that left went out and got it handed to them okay so that, it's just kind of like but you just said you didn't want to go into the land and now you're saying you want to because i'm telling you you can't so that's kind of awkward but anyway uh so he's going on in this uh commentary with just bomb after bomb and i'm trying to get to the point where he talks about the shema because you know the significance of the zizit really show up when we do the shema here it is it says every israelite recites the law of the land of Israel twice daily. Say what? The law of the land? That's morning and evening when we recite the Shema. It says, and if you surely listen to my mitzvot, I will give you the rain of your land in its season, and you will eat and be satisfied. Guard yourself, lest your heart seduces you, and you go astray. And you will be lost from the goodly land which Adonai is giving you. Devarim 11, 13-17 Perhaps the spies feared the people could not live up to the level of the law of the land. And they preferred an easier, more natural way of life. Man, what have we been talking about all day here? Talking about a more natural, easier way of life. And uh, what we got to do with Hashem seems like, oh my gosh, this is hard for us to do. Straining and pressing towards a high mark covered that okay then it says as leaders of their tribes the spies conducted an ingenious operation of public opinion manipulation okay he's a rapper too i didn't know that okay usually skillfully chosen words to implant using skillfully chosen words to implant in the people's minds a vision of impossibility okay he went there all right so then he keeps going down here. I thought that was it. Where is it at? Come on, man. There we go. All right. Backed up a little bit in this commentary from Rabbi G. Baum. It says, the sin of the spies was a failure of Imuna. That's the that's the thing. Our Imuna is what's our problem when we feel like we're just we can't do this. So we gotta have Imuna. Oh my gosh, this is why Philippians 3 is talking about the Amunah and Mashiach, the righteousness that comes from Hashem through believing in Mashiach. That fixes all our problems. That's the importance of Shaul saying that if we try to keep all these mitzvot without knowing Mashiach, that's an issue because we lose our Amunah. Mashiach is the one who helps us keep our Amunah. You know, because what happened with Kepha? He lost his Amunah. But what happened with Kepha? He gained his Amuna back. How did that happen? Mashiach was at both instances. And so it's just like, if you feel like you lose out on your Amuna and Mashiach, all you do is make the Shuvah. You go, Mashiach, I don't know what came over me. Well, you told me what came over me, but I didn't believe you. But I believe you now, and I'm sorry. Then he goes, great, feed my sheep. Do you love me? And you're like, yeah, I love you. And he's like, great, well, feed my sheep. But do you love me? And he's like, Lord, I love you. You know this. And he's like, good. Feed my sheep. 
And it's just like you're restored. And so that's the beauty of being a Messiah is you have a steadfastness that it literally is an extension of Hashem that keeps you on the path. So anyway, you keep going here. It says they allowed themselves to be misled by external appearance of natural world into a colossal failure of nerve. Okay, so they're looking on the outside, obviously. And it says, despite all the promises given by Hashem, Rabbi Griffin says, if anyone makes you a promise, you want it to be Hashem. Just saying. Okay, so despite all the promises that Hashem gave, that he would bring them into the land, they decided to look elsewhere and say, this is not going to work. Okay, it says, on the contrary, we declare our faith wrapped up in the tallit. I skipped a very important statement. This statement says, the faith of Israel does not depend upon what the eyes see. The faith of Israel, the imuna of Israel does not depend upon what the eyes see. And on the contrary, we declare our faith wrapped in a tallit, clutching the zitzit by our hearts, closing our eyes to the visual world around us, covering them with our hand to say, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu. And we keep going, right? And then it says, Only Yehoshua and Caleb closed their eyes to the external appearances, knowing that with Hashem's help, it is possible to bend nature. We will go up and we will take possession of it for he can and we can conquer it. So that's incredibly powerful when you think about the whole context of the Zedzit appearing at the end of this week's Torah portion, which is why Caleb and Yehoshua would say, We're, we can take the land. I don't know what these other 10... Uh, psycho people are talking about and how they've swayed the whole congregation and now they want to stone us like I don't know what's up with that but anyway it's an Amuna thing we have to have not Yeshua now swerving all the way back over here to Beha'alotka about the meat incident first of all we need to know something about this meat this meat is uh, birds that come from the sea. So it's like uh, dogfish, okay? Because dog is fish and, you know, fish that came from the sea. Anyway, uh, so those are blown in from the Yom Suf. So Hashem goes back to the place of their deliverance and brings what they're craving. So he's like, what you're talking about? that I apparently am not feeding you exists back there where I delivered you. So in other words, I'm going to feed you with what you were delivered from. And this is going to cause you to die. And this is what happens when we choose to not walk in a moon with Hashem and keep our eyes on him. We look back to things that we were delivered from. And we think those things that we were delivered from were more awesome than the things that we have been delivered into. 
But the only reason we don't get a proper judgment on that is because we're not focused on what we've been delivered into. So let me start with the Kehert Humash on the Hasidic Insights. And let's see here. Got the double noon, call it 100. Okay, so chapter 11, verse 1. The people sought a pretext. Now, Zaken and Yochanan did an incredible job elucidating the whole pretext. That it, the whole thing with Moshe said, there are 600,000 people here. How in the world are we supposed to feed all them meat? Like, what? You know, that's a whole lot of cooking, a whole lot of grilling. We only got like three grills. Anyway, uh, I don't know where that came from. Chapter 11, verse 1. And the Hasidic insights of the Kehur Tumash says the people saw the pretext. The words literally in the Hebrew read, the people were like complainers. They were only like complainers and not real complainers. Because a Jew whose essence is one with Hashem's essence can never really complain against Hashem. Even though they in fact complained, their complaint was only an expression of their deep yearning to become closer to Hashem. Their dissatisfaction with their present, uh, their dissatisfaction was with their present understanding of his ways. So, it definitely is a distortion of our faith. You know, if we have a pretext, if we're complaining, if we're looking back, we're wanting to really become closer to Hashem is what they're bringing down here, but it's because we don't really understand his ways that this thing is happening. So, obviously, that's kind of crazy, because it's just like, but they were complaining, and they had a pretext, and it's like, yeah, but they also didn't. And it's like, I don't understand that. And it's like, that's great, we have to have to grow. Okay, so now, the people, uh, this is verse 34 now, on same insights. The simple meaning of this name refers to the calamity that occurred there. This is the place where the Jewish people suffered both a spiritual and physical downfall. Yet, it too is one of the 42 stops along the journey of the Jewish people from Mitzrayim to the land of Israel. All of these, teaches the Baal Shem Tov, are steps of a spiritual journey. In fact, they are stepping stones that every Jew must experience during his passion from the constricts of materialism to the apex of holiness because the path is narrow, okay? And what we think is restriction is actually boundaries that help us, that keep us from swerving off into a cliff, okay? And it says, in this context, the name of the place being called the Graves of Craving means that this is the stage in divine service where improper desire is completely vanquished and buried. This degree of spirituality is so intense that the possibility of material cravings and desires no longer exists. Now, the death happened through fires and all that. And that's kind of like, whoa, right? And so the Torah is called a fire. And so it can kill all of these desires and improper things that we want to latch on to. So, wanted to go to this other source over here. I'm going to have to pull it up here. Hang on. Uh, 
Parsha. It's talking about like what what caused this desire for the meat and how horrible that is. Uh, going, going, going. All right. So, it says, Shall we say that they asked for the flesh of animals? But surely the manna changed their mouth into, or the manna changed in their mouth into any taste they desires. As it says, he gave them their request. Tehillim 106.15 and he, and he gave them the way and he gave him that which they craved. Tehillim 78.29 Shall we say that they had no oxen or cattle? But surely it is already written. A mixed multitude went up with them and also flocks and herds. Shemot 12.38 Shall we assume that they had eaten them in the wilderness? But surely it is written. See, this is why you don't just answer stuff. You just find all these verses and string them together. This is what they did. According to Bami Bar 32.1, it says that it is written on the eve of their entry into the land of Israel 40 years later. Now the children of Ruvain had a very great multitude of cattle. Then it says, hence they were only looking for an excuse to complain. Rabbi Shimeon concluded that they did not lust for meat, but for sexual vice. Okay, so this meat craving that they're talking about is actually revealing that it's not even meat that they're after. It's actually just a cover up for their immoral desires and cravings that they have going on inside of them. Now, that shocked me. Because I'm like, how in the world did you find all that in your commentary? Because that's Rashi and that's the Midrash Rabbah. But oh, Tamud Yama 75 takes it even more. It says, Rav and Shamuel deferred as to the meaning of this. One says it means fish. They crave, they, when it talks about the remembering the fish they had in Mitzrayim, it says, one says it means fish. The other says it, it's an idiom for forbidden sexual relations. This is also the meaning of what it says further on. Moshe heard the people weeping throughout their families. They were weeping over the incestuous relationships that were now forbidden to them. Okay, and this clears up the whole thing about, well, the, the patriarchs and the sons of Yaakov got to marry their family members. And it's like, how come we don't get to and... I thought the Torah existed then, and how come they broke the Torah, and all these kinds of things. Well, we don't really know, like, currently, anyway, we don't really know the fullest extent of that, but we do know that after we've been delivered from slavery and brought into newness of life, that we forget what lies behind us, and now we focus on now. Because if we're looking back, we're insinuating that, you know, um, that's... How did they get away with that? You know, and that's an act of deflection because it's like, why is that concerning you? Like, are you trying to do any of that? It's like, oh, no, never. Not me. But it's just like, but they did. So that's not cool. And it's just like, well, this is what applies to us. And so, 
Not that we're trying to look for a way to say, yeah, we don't know, but do we really know? We don't. But we do see here that commentary says that the weeping that's happening is because they missed that. They missed the uh, no restraints in our sexual behavior. And that caused them to use meat as the scapegoat. Now, that's kind of heavy and very crazy to navigate. But the Midrash get you some. Hopefully will help tie this all together and bring more um, understanding and more Muna. This is page 140 in the Midrash get you some. Parsha Beha Alotka. It says... Hashem told Moshe, announce to the people that tomorrow I will provide the meat they demanded. Warn them, however, that they will be punished because of it. Hashem foretold the event a day in advance. He hoped that the people would redraw their request and do Teshuvah. The Almighty warned, I will give you meat in excess you will be able to eat tremendous amounts for 29 days, becoming satiated to the point of disgust. However, it will cause you suffering because you requested it, because by requesting it, you proved that you despise Hashem and that you were sorry to have left Mitzrayim. Master of the universe, objected Moshe, of what use is it to let the people have meat? Their request was merely a pretext for the wish to become free of mitzvot. Even if you slaughter them for all the sheep and cattle in the world, they will continue to clamor. It is not sufficient. And if you gather all the fish in the ocean, they will be dissatisfied, since they actually desire to be free of Torah restrictions, as they were in Mitzrayim. Moreover, shouts out to Zal, moreover, of what benefit is it to them to gain access of meat and then to perish? It's like telling someone, take this bread as a gift to your grave. Hashem replied, do not think that they will continue to claim that I cannot provide sufficient meat. I shall shower them with such a tremendous surplus that they will not complain further. And as to your plea that they should not perish, go reason with them. Try to dissuade them from their insistence on having meat. I know, however, that they will refuse to listen to you. Moshe went out to the people and addressed them with the gentle words. Hmm, addressed with gentle words. Like Mashiach said, I didn't come into the world to judge it. I came in the world to save it. You know, so uh, he says he pleaded. Why must you have this meat that will cause you suffering? You need not test whether Hashem can supply you with abundance of meat in the wilderness. You have surely seen that nothing is too difficult for him. There you go. Nothing's too difficult for Hashem. However, the people retorted, It seems Hashem has sent you to dissuade us. The people said this. It seems Hashem has sent you to dissuade us because he cannot fulfill our request. Okay, that's not smart. If he will supply us with such quantities as suffice for length of time, 
to conquer Eretz Canaan. Really? They need that much, huh? Says, we can trust, or we trust that he will sustain us during the conquest too. Wow. So if he will supply us with such quantities as suffice for the length of time needed to conquer the land of Canaan, i.e. Yisrael, we will trust. So this is what they're using to say we will trust Hashem. Is if he gives us enough rations for us to do battle in the land to gain it back. It says, we trust he will sustain us during the conquest too. If not, we refuse to even enter the land of Israel. So here's our connection to Shlok. It started with the request of the meat. The reason why they needed to send captives and spies into the land, the reason why they spread the bad reports about the land was because it was predicated on the mitzvot. They did not want the mitzvot. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to call Hashem out and say, you are not fulfilling our request, but you want us to fulfill your request. That's where the problem comes in. And that's why Hashem can literally say, turning to Shlaklaka, first verse, the Lord spoke with Moshe saying, send men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one man, one man of every tribe, of their fathers, everyone, a leader of them. Moshe sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the word of Adonai, all the men were Israelite leaders. So the context of that commentary there is all like, well, Hashem commanded Moshe to send them. And it's like, well, Hashem okayed the man to send them. But let's go back to the principle here. Hashem will turn you over to your own desires. So he, it seems like he's commanding you to go do these things because it's what you desire. You just told him that, uh, what is this here? It says... It says, uh, it seems Hashem has sent you to dissuade us because he cannot fulfill our requests. You call Hashem out like that and he'll let you have it. So we don't need to put ourselves in that boat. And that's the whole thing with Emunah. That's the whole thing with straining and pressing towards the high mark. That's the whole thing with forgetting what lies behind and pressing towards what's ahead. Co covering our eyes and saying the Shema, living up to the law of the land. You know, we can get there and we will get there because Hashem brings us with the clouds of glory. He brings us on the wings of eagles, which is the return of Mashiach speedily and soon in our days. So all this being said, we trust in Hashem with leaning not on our own understanding, full of Muna in him, knowing that we cannot fully comprehend anything that he's commanded us to do. But everything that used to be a thing to us is no longer a thing to us. You know, the past is is gone. It's, it's, it's back there. It's covered up in the waters of the Yom Suf. It's dead on the seashores of the Yom Suf. And we have been transported all the way to the mountain of God, received his Torah, and now he's calling us to go forth into the land. Yes, there are, there are giants in the land. Yes, the land overflows with milk and honey. But we don't have to figure that out. What we need to figure out is our own hearts, our own desires to listen to Hashem and be obedient. So may we not desire to be free of the mitzvot. May we not desire to be free of the Torah's restrictions because those very restrictions are what bring us life. You know, if you think about your own blood vessels, 
your blood and your body is restricted, but they are channeled for the purpose of allowing you to have vital life. Okay, vitality. And it's important that we understand that the Torah is that for us. So may you be blessed. May we not spread evil reports about the land. May we look forward to the return of Mashiach and being resurrected, brought into glory to do more not saving Ishma as we learn Torah directly from the mouth of Hashem. So blessings. Uh, I've enjoyed this time with you on the parasha. May you have a wonderful week of studies. And again, I want to encourage everyone as we're moving towards the three weeks of mourning that we turn it into the three weeks of awe, that we are making as much teshuva as possible, bringing in as many converts as possible, that we're really using this time to focus on the rebuilding of the temple versus what destroyed the temple. All right, let's make tikkun. But what do we know? What do we know? Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu menek haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Vekaye olam natavetokeinu Baruch atah Adonai Noten haTorah Amen Amen Shavuotov and Shalom